Chapter Eight of Curiosities of Literature, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annie Hill. Curiosities of Literature, Volume Three, by Isaac Disraeli. Chapter Eight: Confusion of Words. There is nothing more common says the lively voltaire than to read and to converse to no purpose in history in morals in law in physic and in divinity be careful of equivocal terms one of the ancients wrote a book to prove that there was no word which did not convey an ambiguous and uncertain meaning if we possessed this lost book our ingenious dictionaries of synonyms would not probably prove its uselessness whenever the same word is associated by the parties with different ideas they may converse or controverse till the crack of doom this with a little obstinacy and some agility in shifting his ground makes the fortune of an opponent while one party is worried in disentangling a meaning and the other is winding and unwinding about him with another word of the kind we have mentioned carelessly or perversely slipped into an argument may prolong it for a century or two as it has happened vegelis who passed his whole life in the study of words would not allow that the sense was to determine the meaning of words for says he it is the business of words to explain the sense kant discovered for a long while discovered in this way a facility of arguing without end as at this moment do our political economists i beseech you exclaims a poetical critic in the agony of a confusion of words on the pope controversy not to ask whether i mean this or that our critic positive that he has made himself understood has shown how a few vague terms may admit of volumes of vindication throw out a word capable of fifty senses and you raise fifty parties should some friend of peace enable the fifty to repose on one sense that innocent word no longer ringing the tocsin of a party would lie in forgetfulness in the dictionary still more provoking when an identity of meaning is only disguised by different modes of expression and when the term has been closely sifted to their mutual astonishment both parties discover the same thing lying under the bran and chaff after his heated operation plato and aristotle probably agreed much better than the opposite parties they raised up imagined their difference was in the manner of expression rather than in the points discussed the nominalists and the realists who once filled the world with their brawls and who from irregular words came to regular blows could never comprehend their alternate nonsense whether in employing general terms we use words or names only or whether there is in nature anything corresponding to what we mean by a general idea the nominalists only denied what no one in his senses would affirm and the realists only contend for what no one in his senses would deny a hair's breadth might have joined what the spirit of the party had sundered 
do we flatter ourselves that the logomachies of the nominalists and the realists terminated with these scolding schoolmen modern nonsense weighed against the obsolete may make the scales tremble for a while but it will lose its agreeable quality of freshness and subside into equipoise we find their spirit still lurking among our own metaphysicians lo the nominalists and the realists again exclaimed my learned friend sharon turner alluding to our modern doctrines on abstract ideas on which there is still a doubt whether they are anything more than generalizing terms leibnitz confused his philosophy by the term sufficient reasons for every existence for every event and for every truth there must be a sufficient reason this vagueness of language produced a perpetual misconception and leibnitz was proud of his equivocal triumphs in always affording a new interpretation it is conjectured that he only employed his term of sufficient reason for the plain simple word of cause even locke who himself so admirably noticed the abuse of words has been charged with using vague and indefinite ones he has sometimes employed the words reflection mind and spirit in so indefinite a way that they have confused his philosophy thus by some ambiguous expressions our great metaphysician has been made to establish doctrines fatal to the immutability of moral distinctions even the eagle eye of the intellectual newton grew dim in the obscurity of the language of locke we are astonished to discover that two such intellects should not comprehend the same idea for newton wrote to locke footnote forty three i beg your pardon for representing that you struck at the root of morality in a principle laid down in your book of ideas and that i took you for a hobbist End footnote forty three the difference of opinion between locke and reed is in consequence of an ambiguity in the word principle as employed by reed the removal of a solitary word may cast a luminous ray over a whole body of philosophy if we had called the infinite the indefinite says condillac in his traite de sensation by this small change of a word we should have avoided the error of imagining that we have a positive idea of infinity from whence so many false reasonings have been carried on not only by metaphysicians but even by geometricians the word reason has been used with different meanings by different writers reasoning and reason have been often confounded a man may have an endless capacity for reasoning without being much influenced by reason and to be reasonable perhaps differs from them both so moliere tells us raison et l'emploi de toute ma maison et le raisonnement en vanni la raison in this research on confusion of words we might enter the voluminous history of the founders of sects who have usually employed terms which had no meaning attached to them or were so ambiguous that their real notions have never been comprehended hence the most chimerical opinions have been inputted to founders of sects we may instance that of the antinomians whose remarkable denomination explains their doctrine expressed that they were against law their founder was john agricola a follower of luther who while he lived had kept agricola's follies from exploding 
which they did when he asserted that there was no such thing as sin our salvation depending on our faith and not on our works and when he declaimed against the law of god to what length some of his sect pushed this verbal doctrine is known but the real notions of this agricola probably never will be bale considered him as a harmless dreamer in theology who had confused his head by paul's controversies with the jews but moshim who bestows on his early reformer the epithets of ventosus and versipolis windy and crafty or as his translator has it charges him with vanity presumption and artifice tells us by the term law agricola only meant the ten commandments of moses which he considered were abrogated by the gospel being designed for the jews and not for the christians agricola then by the words the law of god and that there was no such thing as sin must have said one thing and meant another this appears to have been the case with most of the divines of the sixteenth century for even moshim complains of their want of precision and consistency in expressing their sentiments hence their real sentiments have been misunderstood there evidently prevailed a great confusion of words amongst them the grace suffisante and the grace effice of the jansenists and the jesuits show the shifts and stratagems by which nonsense may be dignified whether all men received from god sufficient grace for their conversion was an inquiry some unhappy metaphysical theologists set afloat the jesuits according to their worldly system of making men's consciences easy affirmed it but the jansenists insisted that this sufficient grace would never be efficacious unless accompanied by special grace then the sufficient grace which is not efficacious is a contradiction in terms and worse a heresy triumphantly cried the jesuits exulting over their adversaries this confusion of words thickened till the jesuits introduced in this logomachy with the jainists papal bulls royal edicts and a regiment of dragoons the jasonists in despair appealed to miracles and prodigies which they got up for public representation but above all to their pascal whose immortal satire the jesuits really felt was at once sufficient and efficacious though the dragoons in settling a confusion of words did not boast of inferior success to pascal's former agents had indeed witnessed even a more melancholy logomachy in the homoousians and the homoousians an event which boileau has immortalized by some fine verses which in his famous satire on l'equivogue for reasons best known to the sorbonne were struck out of the text d'une syllabe un pi un saint mou augmente rempli tous les esprits de greux si murlier dans une guerre et si triste et si longue parir tant de chrétiens marte d'un dipton whether the son was similar to the substance of the father or of the same substance depended on the diphthong oi which was alternately rejected and received had they earlier discovered what at length they agreed on that the words denoted what was incomprehensible 
it would have saved thousands as a witness describes from tearing one another to pieces the great controversy between abelard and st bernard when the saint accused the scholastic of maintaining heretical notions of the trinity long agitated the world yet now that these confusers of words can no longer inflame our passions we wonder how these parties could themselves differ about words to which we can attach no meaning whatever there have been few councils or synods where the omission or addition of a word or a phrase might not have terminated an interminable logamachy at the council of basil for the convenience of the disputants john de secubia drew up a treatise of undeclined words chiefly to determine the signification of the particles from by but and except which it seems were perpetually occasioning fresh disputes among the hussites and the bohemians had jerome of prague known like our shakespeare the virtue of an if or agreed with hobbes that he should not have been so positive in the use of the verb is he might have been spared from the flames the philosopher of malmesbury has declared that perhaps judgment was nothing else but the composition or joining of two names of things or modes by the verb is in modern times the popes have more skilfully freed the church from this confusion of words his holiness on one occasion standing in equal terror of the court of france who protected the jesuits and of the court of spain who maintained the cause of the dominicans contrived a phrase where a comma or a full stop placed at the beginning or the end purported that his holiness tolerated the opinions which he condemned and when the rival parties despatched deputations to the court of rome to plead for the period or advocate the comma his holiness in this confusion of words flung an unpunctuated copy to the parties nor was it his fault by that of the spirit of party if the rage of the one could not subside into a comma nor that of the other close by a full period in jurisprudence much confusion has occurred in the uses of the term rights yet the social union and human happiness are involved in the precision of expression when montesquieu laid down as the active principle of a republic virtue it seemed to infer that a republic was the best of governments in the defence of his great work he was obliged to define the term and it seemed that by virtue he only meant political virtue the love of the country in politics what evils have resulted from abstract terms to which no ideas are fixed such as the equality of man the sovereignty or the majesty of the people loyalty reform even liberty herself public opinion public interest and other abstract notions which have excited the hatred or the ridicule of the vulgar abstract ideas as sounds have been used as watchwords the combatants will usually be found willing to fight for words to which perhaps not one of them has attached any settled signification this is admirably touched on by loch in his chapter of abuse of words wisdom glory grace and c 
are words frequent enough in every man's mouth but if a great many of those who use them should be asked what they mean by them they would be at a stand and not know what to answer a plain proof that though they have learned these sounds and have them ready at their tongue's end yet there are no determined ideas laid up in their minds which are to be expressed to others by them when the american exclaimed that he was not represented in the house of commons because he was not an elector he was told that a very small part of the people of england were electors as they could not call this an actual representation they invented a new name for it and called it a virtual one it imposed on the english nation who could not object that others should be taxed rather than themselves but with the americans it was a sophism and this virtual representation instead of an actual one terminated in our separation which says mr flood at the time appeared to have swept away most of our glory and our territory forty thousand lives and one hundred millions of treasure that fatal expression which rousseau had introduced l'aiglalite de homme which finally involved the happiness of a whole people had he lived he had probably shown how ill his country had understood he could only have referred in his mind to political equality but not an equality of possessions of property of authority destructive of social order and of moral duties which must exist among every people liberty equality and reform innocent words sadly ferment the brains of those who cannot affix any definite notions to them they are like those chimerical fictions in law which declare sovereign immortal proclaim his ubiquity in various places and irritate the feelings of the populace by assuming that the king can never do wrong in the time of james the second it is curious says lord russell to read the conference between the houses on the meaning of the words deserted and abdicated and the debates in the lords whether or no there is an original contract between king and people the people would necessarily decide that kings derived their power from them but kings were once maintained by a divine right a confusion of words derived from two opposite theories and both only relatively true when we listen so frequently to such abstract terms as the majesty of the people the sovereignty of the people whence the inference that all power is derived from the people we can form no definite notions it is a confusion of words contradicting all the political experience which our studies or our observations furnish for sovereignty is established to rule to conduct and to settle the vacillations and quick passions of the multitude public opinion expresses too often the ideas of one party in place and public interest those of another party out political axioms from the circumstance of having notions attached to them unsettled are applied to the most opposite ends in the time of the french directory observes an italian philosopher of profound views in the revolution of naples the democratic faction pronounced that every act of a tyrannical government is in its origin illegal a proposition which at first sight seems self-evident 
but which went to render all existing laws impracticable the doctrine of the illegality of the acts of a tyrant was proclaimed by brutus and cicero in the name of the senate against the populace who had favoured caesar's perpetual dictatorship and the populace of paris availed themselves of it against the national assembly this confusion of words in time serving politics has too often confounded right and wrong and artful men driven into a corner and intent only on its possession have found no difficulty in solving doubts and reconciling contradictions our own history in revolutionary times abounds with dangerous examples from all parties of specious hypotheses for compliance with the government of the day or the passions of parliament here is an instance in which the subtle confuser of words pretended to substitute two consciences by utterly depriving a man of any when the unhappy charles i pleaded that to pass the bill of attainer against the earl of strafford was against his conscience that remarkable character of boldness and impiety as clarendon characterizes williams archbishop of york on this argument of conscience a simple word enough demonstrated that there were two sorts of conscience public and private that his public conscience as a king might dispense with his private conscience as a man such was the ignominious argument which decided the fate of that great victim of state it was an impudent confusion of words when prine in order to quiet the consciences of those who were uneasy at warring with the king observed that the statute of twenty fifth edward the third ran in the singular number if a man shall levy war against the king and therefore could not be extended to the houses who are many and public persons later we find sherlock blessed with the spirit of williams the archbishop of york whom we have just left when some did not know how to charge and to discharge themselves of the oaths to james the second and to william the third this confounder of words discovered that there were two rights as the other had that there were two consciences one was a providential right and the other a legal right one person might very righteously claim and take a thing another as righteously hold and keep it but that whoever got the better had the providential right by possession and since all authority comes from god the people were obliged to transfer their allegiance to him as a king of god's making so that he who had the providential right necessarily had the legal one a very simple discovery which must however have cost him some pains for this confounder of words was himself confounded by twelve answers by non-jurors a french politician of this stamp recently was suspended from his lectureship for asserting that the possession of the soil was a right by which principle any king reigning over a country whether by treachery crime and usurpation was a legitimate sovereign for this convenient principle the lecturer was tried and declared not guilty by persons who have lately found their advantage in a confusion of words in treaties between nations a confusion of words has been more particularly studied and that negotiator 
has conceived himself most dexterous who by this abuse of words has retained an arriere pensee which may fasten or loosen the ambiguous expression he had so cautiously and so finely inlaid in his mosaic of treachery a scene of this nature i draw out of mesnigger's negotiation with the court of england when that secret agent of louis the fourteenth was negotiating a peace an inseparable difficulty arose respecting the acknowledgment of the hanoverian succession it was absolutely necessary on this delicate point to quiet the anxiety of the english public and our allies but though the french king was willing to recognize anne's title to the throne yet the settlement in the house of hanover was incompatible with french interests and french honour mesnigger told lord bolingbroke that the king his master would consent to any such article looking the other way as might disengage him from the obligation of that agreement as the occasion should present this ambiguous language was probably understood by lord bolingbroke at the next conference his lordship informed the secret agent that the queen could not admit of any explanations whatever her intentions might be that the succession was settled by an act of parliament that as to the private sentiments of the queen or of any about her he could say nothing all this was said with such an air as to let me understand that he gave a secret assent to what i had proposed and see but he desired me to drop the discourse thus two great negotiators both equally urgent to conclude the treaty found an insuperable obstacle occur which neither could control two honest men would have parted but the skilful confounder of words the french diplomatist hit on an expedient he wrote the words which afterwards appeared in the preliminaries that louis the fourteenth will acknowledge the queen of great britain in that quality as also the succession of the crown according to the present settlement the english agent adds the frenchman would have had me add on the house of hanover but this i entreated him not to desire of me the term present settlement then was that article which was looking the other way to disengage his master from the obligation of that agreement as occasion should present that is that louis the fourteenth chose to understand by the present settlement the old one by which the british crown was to be restored to the pretender anne and the english nation were to understand it in their own sense as the new one which transferred it to the house of hanover when politicians cannot rely upon each other's interpretation of one of the commonest words in our language how can they possibly act together the bishop of winchester has proved this observation by the remarkable antidote of the duke of portland and mr pitt who with a view to unite parties were to hold a conference on fair and equal terms his grace did not object to the word fair but the word equal was more specific and limited and for a necessary preliminary he requested mr pitt to inform him what he understood by the word equal whether pitt was puzzled by the question or would not deliver up an air pensee he put off the explanation to the conference but the duke would not meet mr pitt till the word 
was explained and this important negotiation was broken off by not explaining a simple word which appeared to require no explanation there is nothing more fatal in language than to wander from the popular acceptation of words and yet this popular sense cannot always accord with precision of ideas for it is itself subject to great changes another source therefore of the abuse of words is that mutability to which in the course of time the verbal edifice as well as more substantial ones is doomed a familiar instance presents itself in the titles of tyrant parasite and sophist originally honourable distinctions the abuses of dominion made the appropriate title of kings odious the title of a magistrate who had the care of the public granaries of corn at length was applied to a wretched flatterer for a dinner and absurd philosophers occasioned a mere denomination to become a by-name to employ such terms in their primitive tense would now confuse all ideas yet there is an affectation of erudition which has frequently revived terms by antiquity bishop watson entitled his vindication of the bible an apology this word in its primitive sense had long been lost for the multitude whom he particularly addressed in his work and who could only understand it in the sense that they are accustomed to unquestionably many of its readers have imagined that the bishop was offering an excuse for a belief in the bible instead of a vindication of its truth the word impertinent by the ancient jurisconsults or law counsellors who gave their opinion on cases was used merely in opposition to pertinent ratio pertinens as a pertinent reason that is a reason pertaining to the cause in question and a ratio impertinens an impertinent reason is an argument not pertaining to the subject footnote forty four impertinent then originally meant neither absurdity nor rude intrusion as it does in our popular present sense End of footnote forty four the learned arnaud having characterized a reply of his adversaries by the epitaph impertinent when blamed for the freedom of his language explained his meaning by giving his history of the word which applies to our own language thus also with us the word indifferent has entirely changed an historian whose work was indifferently written would formerly have claimed our attention in the liturgy it is prayed that magistrates may indifferently minister justice indifferently originally meant impartiality the word extravagant in its primitive signification only signified to digress from the subject the decretals or those letters from the popes deciding on points of the ecclesiastical discipline were at length incorporated with the canon law and were called extravagant by wandering out of the body of the canon law being confusedly dispersed throughout that collection when luther had the decretals publicly burned at wittenberg the insult was designed for the pope rather than as a condemnation of the canon law itself suppose in the present case two persons of opposite opinions the catholic who has said that the decretals were extravagant might not have intended to deprecate them or make any concession to the lutheran what confusion of words has the common sense of the scotch metaphysicians introduced into philosophy there are no words perhaps in the language which may be so differently interpreted and professor dougald stuart has collected in a curious note in the second volume of his 
philosophy of the human mind a singular variety of its opposite significations the latin phrase census communis may in various passages of cicero be translated by our phrase common sense but on other occasions it means something different the census communis of the schoolman is quite another thing and it is synonymous with conception and referred to the seat of intellect with sir john davies in his curious metaphysical poem common sense is used as imagination it created a controversy with beattie and reed and reed who introduced this vague ambiguous phrase in philosophical language often understood the term in its ordinary acceptation this change of the meaning of words which is constantly reoccurring in metaphysical disputes has made that curious but obscure science liable to this objection of hobbes with many words making nothing understood controversies have been keenly agitated about the principles of morals which resolve entirely into verbal disputes or at most into questions of arrangement and classification of little comparative moment to the points at issue this observation of mr ducal stuart's might be illustrated by the fate of the numerous inventors of systems of thinking or morals who have only employed very different and even opposite terms in appearance to express the same thing some by their mode of philosophizing have strangely unsettled the words self-interest and self-love and their misconceptions have sadly misled the votaries of these systems of morals as others also by such vague terms as utility fitness when epicurus asserted that the sovereign good consisted in pleasure opposing the unfeeling austerity of the stoics by the softness of pleasurable emotions his principle was soon disregarded while his word perhaps chosen in the spirit of paradox was warmly adopted by the sensualist epicurus of whom seneca has drawn so beautiful a domestic scene in whose garden a loaf a cytheridian cheese and a draught which did not inflame thirst was the sole banquet would have started indignantly at the fattest hog in epicurus sty such are the facts which illustrate that the principle in the abuse of words which locke calls an affected obscurity arising from applying old words to new or unusual significations it was the same confusion of words which gave rise to the famous sect of the sadducees the master of its founder sadoc in his moral purity was desirous of a disinterested worship of the deity he would not have men like slaves obedient from the hope of reward or the fear of punishment sadoc drew a quite contrary inference from the intention of his master concluding that there were neither rewards nor punishments in a future state the result is a parallel to the fate of epicurus the morality of the master of sadoc was of the most pure and elevated kind but in the confusion of words the libertines adopted them for their own purposes and having once assumed that neither rewards nor punishments existed in the after-state they proceeded to the erroneous consequence that man perished with his own dust the plainest words by accidental associations may suggest the most erroneous conceptions and have been productive of the grossest errors in the famous bangorian controversy one of the writers excites a smile by a complaint arising from his views of the signification of a plain word 
whose meaning he thinks has been changed by the contending parties he says the word country like a great many others such as church and kingdom is by the bishop of bangor's leave become to signify a collection of ideas very different from its original meaning with some it implies party with others private opinion and with most interest and perhaps in time may signify some other country when this good innocent word has been tossed backwards and forwards a little longer some new reformer of language may arise to reduce it to its primitive signification the real interest of great britain the antagonist of this controversialist probably retorted on him his own term of the real interest which might be a very opposite one according to their notions it has been said with what truth i know not that it was by a mere confusion of words that burke was enabled to alarm the great whig families by showing them their fate in that of the french noblesse they were misled by the similitude of names the french noblesse had as little resemblance to our nobility as they have to the mandarins of china however it may be in this case certain it is that the same terms misapplied have often raised those delusive notions termed false analogies it was long imagined in this country that the parliaments of france were somewhat akin to our own but these assemblies were very differently constituted consisting only of lawyers in courts of law a misnomer confuses all argument there is a trick which consists in bestowing good names on bad things vices thus failed are introduced to us as virtues according to an old poet as drunkenness good fellowship we call sir thomas waite or the reverse when loyalty may be ridiculed as the right divine of kings to govern wrong the most innocent recreations such as the drama dancing dress have been anathematized by puritans while philosophers have written elaborate treatises in their defence the enigma is solved when we discover that these words suggested a set of opposite notions to each but the nominalist and the realist and the doctor fundatissimi resolutissimi refulgentes profundi and exactissimi have left this heirloom of logomachy to a race as subtle and irrefragable an extraordinary scene has recently been performed by a new company of actors in the modern comedy of political economy and the whole dialogue has been carried on in an inimitable confusion of words this reasoning and unreasoning fraternity never use a term as a term but for an explanation and which employed by them all signifies opposite things but never the plainest is it not therefore strange that they cannot yet tell us what are riches what is rent what is value monsieur say the most sparkling of them all assures us that the english writers are obscure by their confounding like smith the denomination of labour the vivacious gall cries out to the grave britain mr malthus if i consent to employ your word labour you must understand me so and so mr malthus says commodities are not exchanged for commodities only they are also exchanged for labour and when the hypochondriac englishman with dismay foresees the glut of markets 
and concludes that we may produce more than we consume the paradoxical monsieur say discovers that commodities is a wrong word for it gives a wrong idea it should be productions for his axiom is that productions can only be purchased with productions money it seems according to dictionary ideas has no existence in his vocabulary for monsieur say has formed a sort of berkeleyan conception of wealth being immaterial while we confine our views to its materiality hence ensues from this confusion of words this most brilliant paradox that a glutted market is not a proof that we produce too much but that we produce too little for in that case there is not enough produced to exchange with what is produced as frenchmen excel in politeness and impudence monsieur say adds i revere adam smith he is my master but this first of political economists did not understand all the phenomena of production and consumption we who remain uninitiated in this mystery of explaining the operations of trade by metaphysical ideas and raising up theories to conduct those who never theorize can only start at the confusion of words and leave this blessed inheritance to our sons if ever the science survive the logomachy caramiol a famous spanish bishop was a grand architect of words ingenious in theory his errors were confined to his practice he said a great deal and meant nothing and by an exact dimension of his intellect taken at the time it appeared that he had genius in the eighth degree eloquence in the fifth but judgment only in the second this great man would not read the ancients for he had a notion that the moderns must have acquired all they possessed with a good deal of their own into the bargain two hundred and sixty-two works differing in breadth and length besides his manuscripts attest that if the world would read his writings they could need no other for which purpose his last work always referred to the preceding ones and could never be comprehended till his readers possessed those which were to follow as he had the good sense to perceive that metaphysicians abound in obscure and equivocal terms to avoid this confusion of words he invented a jargon of his own and to make confusion worse confounded projected grammars and vocabularies by which we were to learn it but it was supposed that he was the only man who understood himself he put every author in despair by the works which he announced footnote forty six this famous architect of words however built more labyrinths than he could always get out of notwithstanding his cabalistical grammar and his audacious grammar End of footnote forty six yet this great caramuel the critics have agreed was nothing but a puffy giant with legs too weak for his bulk and only to be accounted as a hero amidst a confusion of words let us dread the fate of caramuel before we enter into discussion with the metaphysician first settle what he means by the nature of ideas with the politician his notion of liberty and equality with the divine what he deems orthodox with the political economist what he considers to be value and rent by this means we may avoid what is perpetually recurring that extreme laxity or vagueness of words which makes every writer or speaker complain of his predecessor and attempt sometimes not in the best temper 
to define and to settle the signification of what the witty south calls those rabble charming words which carry so much wildfire wrapped up in them footnote forty three we owe this curious unpublished letter to the zeal and care of professor dougal stuart in his excellent dissertations footnote forty four it is still a chancery word an answer in chancery and c is referred for impertinence reported impertinent and the impertinence ordered to be struck out meaning only what is immaterial or superfluous tending to unnecessary expense i am indebted for this explanation to my friend mr merivale and to another learned friend formerly in that court who describes its meaning as an excess of words or matter in the pleadings and who has received many an official fee for expunging impertinence leaving however he acknowledges a sufficient quantity to make the lawyers ashamed of their verbosity footnote forty six ballet gives the dates and plans of these grammars the cabalistic was published in bruxelles sixteen forty two in twelfth month the audacious was in folio printed in frankfurt sixteen fifty four judgment de savant tome two three merparti end of footnotes end of section eight confusion of words